We've been fighting a long time. We have all lost so very much. So many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important you are. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Hello everyone, welcome to this week's virtue class. This week will be on Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, Theosophy in Sheep's Clothing. Now, last week was part one of this class, of this talk, and we discussed Maria Montessori, her psychology and her pedagogy, and how her involvement in theosophy influenced and affected her thinking. This week, we're going to be looking at Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and we're going to see how the thinking of Theosophy and Maria Montessori flowed into this program. Now, if you'd like to see last week's talk, you can look for it on YouTube. It's titled, The Problems of Maria Montessori. Now we're going to start off right off the bat with a principle from Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. This comes from their 32 points of reflection, and it lists the um, foundational teachings and principles of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. It states, with this aim in mind, the catechist embraces Maria Montessori's vision of the human being, so Maria Montessori's psychology, and thus the attitude of the adult regarding the child, or in other words, the pedagogy, and prepares an environment called the atrium, which aids in the development of the religious life. So just to clarify from our last video, Montessori was a theosophist. We have right here uh, the report from an academic journal from England, the History of Education Society Bulletin. It states, following her death in 1952, the society president reported that Maria Montessori did in fact join the Theosophical Society on May 23, 1899. Montessori gave full voice to the spirituality which had always been in her work couched in language appreciated by the Theosophical Society. Now this is important because people argue that Maria Montessori was only a Theosophist later in life when she published the articles for the Theosophy Society. However, we have this date of 1899. That is eight years before Montessori began her first school and 13 years 
before she published her work and called the Montessori Method. So a principle we have from Maria Montessori is how to teach. And we find her thinking in the Theosophist. Right here we have a quote from Annie Besant. Now Annie Besant was the president of the Theosophy Society. And for those of you who don't know what Theosophy is, it is part of the occult. And we know that because on their magazine, they proudly proclaim that they are into occultism. Now, Annie Besant states, I am not yet prepared to go as far as the Montessori system in leaving complete liberty to the child because I have not yet tried it. But the main idea is right, that you should help the child to teach himself. That is the great secret of all education. Not that you should pour into his brain as it were an empty vessel. So the brain isn't empty. There's something already there. A certain number of facts that he was to memorize, but you should draw out of his powers. So the brain is not an empty vessel. The brain already has this knowledge inside of it, and you just have to draw that knowledge out. And where does this come from in Montessori? She states, the child unconscious drinks in divine power, while the reasoning consciousness of the adult is but human. So she's more or less saying the adult has to reason to know things, but the child just knows this because it just drinks in divine power. Now, what is a teacher? Based on this new understanding of how we come to know, we have a new way that we're going to understand a teacher and how to teach. This is from Annie Besant, the Theosophist. What is a teacher? He is nothing more or less than an ambassador. Madame Montessori has, I believe, realized this fundamental relationship between the teacher and the child. Remember in the beginning, um, the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd was saying that embraces Maria Montessori's relationship between the teacher and the child. Annie Besant continues, she says that the teacher watches. It is the work of the teacher to watch, not to control, not to give instruction, but to educate, to watch, to draw out, which is already there. Not that which has previously been put in, but that which is already there to be expanded. Again, she is making it very clear that the teacher does not impart its knowledge into the child. Rather, the child already has the information and it is drawing this information out of the child. And Montessori, in her book for, or her magazine for the Theosophist, says the same thing. Consequently, the task of the new teacher so a new understanding of the teacher that was not common in the past, she continues, has become much more delicate than that of the old one. The most difficult thing is to make the teacher understand that if the child is to progress, she must eliminate herself and give up those prerogatives that here thereto were considered to be the sacred rights of the teacher. Or in other words, the teacher is no longer teaching. She is just a mere facilitator. Montessori continues. 
she cannot have any immediate influence either upon the formation or upon the inner discipline of the students, and that her confidence must be placed and rest in their hidden and latent energies. So there are hidden and latent energies that are already in the child that we just have to unravel. Does that sound Catholic or even Christian to anyone? She continues, but until she is able to resign herself to silence, the voice of all vanity, she will not be able to attain any result. So what Maria Montessori is basically saying is that to teach the child and pass on your knowledge to them is really just an act of vanity. And we have a principle in uh, the Maria Montessori system, or sorry, we have this from idea from Annie Besant, which is part of her theosophy, that the children are actually divine. And this answers the question, how do we, how does a child get this knowledge? Where does this knowledge come from? She states, a vital contribution of the theosophist to educate is the assertion of the fundamental divinity of man and of the gradual, gradual deification of man as the process of evolution. The child is not only an age-old soul, but he is also, in essence, divine. So the reason the child has this knowledge within him is because he is divine. Now think about what Maria Montessori said and compare that with what Annie Besant just said. The child unconscious drinks in divine power, while the reasoning consciousness of the adult is but mere human. What she is actually saying is that the child participates in the vine in some special way. And because, this, because of this, he is actually superior to the adult who is but mere human. All right, now we're gonna look at Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and see the problems that are in this program and how they are the same problems we see among the theosophists and in the writings, psychology and pedagogy of Maria Montessori. So Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and Maria Montessori had this idea of innate knowledge, as we just said. A biography from, right here, we're gonna read a quote from a biography of the CGS founder, Sophia Cavalletti. Now, CGS stands for Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So, Sophia Cavalletti, the founder, states, she, or sorry, this is uh, from a biography about her. She works from the theological assumption that catechesis offers children the opportunity to relate to God whom they innately know and perceive. It is not a catechesis of definition, but a catechesis of invitation. So, again, the, the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is assuming that we are not passing this knowledge onto the child, but that they innately know and perceive the truths of the faith. And it goes right down to Maria Montessori. We have a quote from here as well. We must remember that religion is a universal sentiment, which is inside everybody and has been inside every person since the beginning of the world. It is not something which we must give to the child. 
And this error, this teaching, is actually the error of the modernist. Right here we have a quote from St. Pius X, where he's talking about the thinking of the modernist and what they believe. Therefore, since God is the object of religion, we must conclude that faith, which is the basis and the foundation of all religion, consists in a sentiment. This is almost exactly what Maria Montessori said. It's not something that's passed down, it's some sentiment from inside that manifests itself through your faith. Now this is completely contrary to what the Catholic Church and all of Christianity has always taught. For the Catholic Church teaches that all public revelation ended with the last apostle. So after that, there is no new public revelation. For after the last apostle, that faith was passed down from generation to generation to generation. That is Catholic. Our faith is both scripture and tradition. So another idea of that she very clearly makes known, Sophia Cavaletti, is this idea that children have knowledge within them. So she states, and she also embraces Maria Montessori's understanding of the teacher and the pupil. Now these three quotes I'm gonna read are taken from the 32 points of reflection of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Number one, the only teacher is Christ. Both children and adults place themselves in a listening stance before his word. Now remember, we have to understand these quotes with the knowledge and understanding that Catechesis of the Good Shepherd relies on Montessori psychology and pedagogy. Next, the catechist is not a teacher. Sound familiar? Remembering that the only teacher is Christ himself, the catechist renounces every form of control. And they also go on to say this includes both tests and quizzes. If there are no tests or quizzes in this program, how do they know that these children really know the material? The material makes it possible for the catechist to assume his or her post as the useless servant. Almost sounds exactly what Maria Montessori said about the teacher. Now, some people have criticized the website CGS Exposed and said, well, this idea of being humble, being like a child, it comes from scripture. For, Saint, for Matthew said, unless you change and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, it is proper for the catechist to have this unusual relationship with the child. But this is nonsense. We must remember that as Catholics, we are not scripture alone. When we understand scripture, we also have to understand it, not just by our personal understanding the way we think it should be, we have to rely on tradition to have the proper interpretation of scripture. Right here we have something from the Haydock commentary. And this passage has been interpreted to mean that we must have certain perfections and virtues of the child, such as humility and lowliness. 
But other places in scripture condemn this childlike activity. For in Corinthians, they say, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So for a man and an adult to completely act juvenile and like a child is a defect and a disorder. In the Catechist of the Good Shepherd, remember that Maria Montessori talks about how the child drinks in divinity through his consciousness, where the adult is but mere human. We have to really look at what they're saying because there is this idea that the child knows more than the adult, and the adult is to serve the child in some sense. Remember, the catechist embraces Maria Montessori's vision of the human being. So how Maria Montessori understands man is embraced by the catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Now, when we read this, we have to keep something in mind. Maria Montessori had an article in, in the Theosophist titled, The Child, The Eternal Messiah. Okay, now, keeping that in mind, we're going to read a passage from the 32 points of reflection on the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. It states, the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is also concerned with helping adults open their eyes to the hidden riches of the child, especially to the child's spiritual wealth, so that adults will be drawn to learn from the child and to serve him or her. I know people who were in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd program, they were teaching it, and they were amazed to find other teachers were actually writing letters to their students' parents, telling them how they had learned so much from their children. If these catechists are learning from these preschoolers and young kids, what business do they have being there? Okay, well, let's keep all that in mind. Maria Montessori stated, the child unconscious drinks in divine power, while the reasoning consciousness of the adult is but human. Now, a biography of the CGS founder, Sophia Catholetti states, the years she has spent doing biblical and liturgical catechesis with children have shown her children's deep and mysterious relationship with God, a relationship that she feels it's much more serious than that of adults and one that they are more vitally capable of enjoying. So for some reason, the child has a deeper relationship with God than the adult. If you read the spiritual writers, the great saints, the doctors of the church, no one says that. What we see throughout the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is this egalitarian view of the relationship between the child and the adult. Everything becomes inverted. In the Montessori schools, it was actually the practice that you call the teachers by their first name. Now, how does this whole teaching mechanism work? It wouldn't seem that you could pass any knowledge on to the child if you're just relying on them to have the knowledge within them. 
Well, you can first off, you can go to YouTube, you can type in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and you can watch people give their presentations. So how it's taught is the catechist does have a position. She does have a role. There are materials such as a three image of the Jewish temple or crosses or whatever the catechist wants to have for the lesson. And then the catechist will take the materials and she'll animate them and say various things and kind of present a story such as a parable or something with the little characters. And instead of teaching, she will say, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder this, this, and that. And the whole idea of saying, I wonder, is to encourage a child to wonder as well. And there's this idea that as a child wonders, it will cause him to stir and ponder and draw that knowledge out of him. Now, there are some legitimately good aspects of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And this is the 3D materials that they work with. For example, the 3D um, uh, diagram or image of the Jewish temple is very helpful. Kids can see it, they can look at it. It brings these things to life. Now, unfortunately, there is far more negative aspects in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and there are good things. But this use of 3D materials to help teach and make things more real is a very positive benefit of the Catechist of Good Shepherd, and it is a characteristic of this program that could and probably should be incorporated in other catechesis programs. So to really examine a catechesis program, we need to look at the ends of catechesis. To do that, we're going to look at a document from Rome, and they gave us four ends from the Congregation for the Clergy and the General Director for Catechesis. The first is knowledge of faith, liturgical education, moral formation, and how to pray. Now let's look at what the founders of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd were thinking when they made Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. What was their end? What was their purpose? Right here we have another quote from the biography of Sophia Cavalletti. Only materials that arouse much interest and deep joy were kept. So if they didn't have much interest and deep joy, they threw it out. They were seeking the most essential and the simplest materials that would help the personal work of the children so that the children would be able to grasp the message of the scripture or the liturgy. So the focus is things that are joyful and things that arouse interest. And they're doing that to teach about scripture and the liturgy. Right there, they are failing to meet the four ends of the church. Scripture and liturgy are both good. Liturgical education is one of the ends. But scripture alone is not the end. You still have to teach how to pray, moral formation, and knowledge of the faith. And knowledge of the faith cannot just be scripture, but it must be scripture and tradition. Another thing we must remember is that catechesis is primarily about education, not conjuring religious sentiments. So it doesn't matter how interested or how joyful the material makes the child. 
you teach the child what they need to know to be Catholic, regardless of how it makes them feel. This is true for any other course we would study. Why should it be any different for catechesis? Now right here we have a small list of doctrines that are missing from the catechesis of the Good Shepherd program. Now, if you really want to investigate this, what you should do is take your Bal number two Baltimore Catechism and compare it with the catechesis of the Good Shepherd program, and you'll find many things that are missing. Now, I saw someone responded to the website CGS Exposed, and they had a post about how one of the things that CGS does not cover is an explanation of the Trinity. And the person's response was, how can you say we don't cover the Trinity? We teach our kids the sign of the cross. Now that actually is the answer to the question. If you think teaching your children the sign of the cross is a proper explanation, a, a catechetical explanation of the Trinity, then there is something seriously wrong because understanding the Trinity is far more complicated than just making the sign of the cross. As Catholics, we need to know more than just that. Now we must ask, why does a CGS program lack all this content? One possible answer, ecumenism. So here we have some quotes from the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd website and their page on ecumenism. First off, it states, ecumenism is, first of all, an act of faith that opens completely new horizons before us. Now we have to ask ourselves first, what is an act of faith? Faith is the intellect's adherence to truth revealed by God. Ecumenism is not an act of faith. Next, the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is open to all Christians of various denominations and of different commitments within the church. Now, in order to teach a catechesis program, a proper catechesis program, you have to cover many doctrines, doctrines that Christians of other denominations are not going to like. The very fact that they are of a different denomination means that they believe different doctrines. So that is a major concern. Next we have, ecumenism is not just a branch of catechesis. Rather, the spirit of, of ecumenism does permeate the whole of catechesis. Now, a question we really have to ask is, how can ecumenism permeate every branch? of catechesis. It's true, there are some things we do have in common with other denominations, but how does ecumenism permeate the parts of catechesis that are confrontational that other religions disagree about? How, do you, how does ecumenism um, reach the doctrines of the papacy and the idea of heresy and schism? This is a strong indication that we are running into false ecumenism. Now, if we look at the document from Rome on catechesis, 
we do see that there is a limited amount of ecumenism they allow in catechesis. They state, in the context of different Christian confessions, the bishop may deem opportune or necessary specific ecumenical cooperation in the area of religious instructions. It is important, however, that Catholics are guaranteed at the same time a genuinely Catholic catechesis. So what Rome is saying is though certain ecumenical aspects may be incorporated into a catechesis, this cannot be to the detriment of the catechesis program. It must be done in moderation. Usually when we hear ecumenism, we see it leading to a watering down of the faith. If ecumenism is not just in a few parts, as Rome has said, but permeates the whole of catechesis. How can catechesis be anything but watered down? Content. Well, let's look at the content of the catechesis of the Good Shepherd. According to Cavaletti, she and Gobi made many mistakes and had to throw away some of the materials they had created as they searched to find the essential themes and elements that corresponded to the needs of the children. Only materials that aroused much interest and deep joy were kept. They were seeking the most essential and the simplest materials that would help the personal work of the children so that the children would be able to grasp the message of scripture or the liturgy. Therefore, anything that was not essential was removed from the atrium. So we, first off, we have to ask, how are they determining what is essential? Well, it appears things that didn't cause joy or interest. Now, when we look over the history, we can see various catechisms. The first, the Catechism of the Council of Trent for the clergy. We have many other catechisms along the way. Another famous one that was promulgated by the church was the Baltimore Catechism. It was created for education of the youth in catechesis. Then we have the Catechism of the Catholic Church by John Paul II. Now, though they do address different times, the content is laid out in a certain way. And a lot of the things are repetitive. There's not a whole lot of differences in these catechisms. We must remember that in the beginning, the very first primitive catechisms were really the creeds. It was the creeds that were written with the blood of martyrs. And these creeds were an act of our faith. That's why all these catechisms I've just listed rely on the creed as a structure and foundation to teach the faith. Catechesis of the Good Shepherd doesn't do this. It doesn't use the creed to teach the faith. It really just uses the creed in the liturgy. Religious education. So now we're going to look at the decrees by Annie Besant on how religious education should be taught. And we're going to find that this is almost exactly what the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd does. She states, there are some things you all agree about. The existence of God, the duties of man, the love of the neighbor, the duty to the country. These are common things that all agree upon. 
teach these in your elementary schools and let the quarrels of religion wait until, if you could, leave them all together, it would be better until after, say, the university course. So what she's saying is, even at a university course, you shouldn't be teaching the things that religions disagree upon. Wait till after that to teach these controversial doctrines. Or in other words, don't teach them at all. She continues, teach the common truths of religion in the simplest possible form and teach morals more than what you would call distinctly religious dogmas. She doesn't like dogmas. Why? Because dogmas aren't things that all agree upon. Do not teach morals by precept. Teach them by stories and by examples. Now, why is that really problematic? Don't teach them by precept. Well, let's use an example. Let's say I know the parables and I have a basic knowledge that abortion is wrong. Let's say I go up against a very difficult situation and I hear about this woman who was raped and she's very young and she's in a poor starving country and she just wants to have this abortion not because she hates a child but she thinks it's the best for everyone. Now in this very difficult situation if all you have are parables or stories to learn a moral theology you're probably not going to know exactly what to do. You might have a good idea, but you could innocently error. However, if you're taught by precept, you're given the principle that abortion is an intrinsic evil. You will know for sure that no matter what this girl is going through, she may not have an abortion. Now remember, what did Annie Besant say? teach the common truths of religion in the simplest possible form. And what was Sophia Cavaletti seeking? They were seeking the most essential and the simplest materials that would help the personal work of the children. And in this, we also see ecumenism. Remember, as Annie Besant said, there are some things you all agree about. And teach the common truths of religion in the simplest possible form. When we, get all, when we teach all the truths in the simplest possible form, we're basically just teaching that there's a God and he exists. And we're, we're teaching basic moral principles that all agree upon. It no longer really becomes Catholic. Remember, Sophia Cavaletti, or the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, one of their principles is ecumenism is not just a branch of catechesis. Rather, the spirit of ecumenism does permeate the whole of catechesis. And it's also worth noting that Cavaletti was thrilled that CGS was being used by many Christian traditions. That was in her biography. Why are you so thrilled that non-Catholics are using your catechesis program. Why do you care? Now, just stories. Remember, she said, Annie Besant said, teach the common truths of religion in the simplest possible form. Do not teach morals by precept. Teach them by stories and by examples. So, how do they teach moral theology in the catechesis of the Good Shepherd? 
Cavaletti believes that this form of catechesis has refound its biblical content. So catechesis of Good Shepherd has refound its biblical content, meaning that the programs the church had before weren't biblical, didn't have the biblical content they ought to. But catechesis of the Good Shepherd has now discovered this. She continues, and by focusing on the use of parables, or as Annie Besant says, stories, as G uh, Sophia Kelly continues, as Jesus did, rather than on formula and definitions. So right here, Sophia Cavaletti is saying, teach him parables, teach him stories, as Jesus did, rather than formula and definitions, just like Annie Besant said. She continues, the parable is not to be explained, which would treat it like a definition or precept, and to betray its nature. She continues, she advocates giving the listeners the passage complete in itself so that they may dialogue with the text. So the teacher is not to explain the parable, that's bad, but we give this parable to the children and the children dialogue with each other about the text. This is absolutely ridiculous. All sorts of people read scripture and come to false conclusions. If we are going to give our children passages from the scripture, then as Catholics, we must be incorporating that tradition and teaching them the proper interpretation of these passages. Now, if we look more closely at this, we can see that the teachings of, say, Confucius and the parables, they are very good. Don't get me wrong. Confucius taught many practical truths that Christians would agree upon. But Confucius, or even Confucius in the parables, that alone is not adequate for catechetical formation. For CGS, mostly uses the parables and the maxims for moral theology, for teaching morality to the children, not the Ten Commandments. Now, in the past, I talked about how all the catechisms of old had a certain uniformity to them, from the Roman Catechism to the Catechism of the Catholic Church to the Baltimore Catechism. And to teach their moral theology, they did it by precept, and they relied on the Ten Commandments. They took the Ten Commandments and they broke them down into many, many different teachings and many di different pages. And they extrapolated all these moral principles from the Ten Commandments and used it to teach the whole of moral theology. In Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, there is one section that goes over all Ten Commandments. In the Baltimore Catechism, there are pages and pages going through very precisely the different ways in which the Ten Commandments relate to the different sins. So, who is Sophia Cavaletti? Well, Sophia Cavaletti was a co-founder of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. She was also a Jewish scholar and a biblical scholar, and she was very much in favor of the use of the historical critical method. She was also involved with the ecumenical movement in Rome. But one thing that's interesting 
is that she had no formal training that would qualify her to produce a catechesis program. When she talks about in her, in her biography, autobiography, they talk about how she removes certain materials from the catechesis program to not bring joy to the child, or she was looking for material that was essential and removing everything else. How does she know what is essential? What formal training has she been given that qualifies her to make a proper decision of what is essential and what is not essential? Where did Sofia Cavalletti get her theological training? Who was she looking at? Who was she relying upon? In, her, in, a, in a biography about her, she states that they quote her sh showing her love for the priest Talhard de Chardin. She states, one thought that certainly had great importance in my life is the work of Talhard de Chardin. It is dad who introduced me to him, and I made abundant readings, which allowed me to get out of the 19th century atmosphere, or at least pre-Second Vatican Council, in which we had grown up. The 19th century was certainly a very negative century for the church. That instead of teaching us that faith is unequal, in which the only certainty is God, who is certainly a charming character, but not so easy to understand, he sought certainties until that of infallibility. So she is criticizing her father for looking at infallibility and being concerned with not stepping outside of the church's bounds of dogma. She continues, and therefore narrowed his horizons. So her father's horizons were narrowed because he was concerned with the infallible teachings of the church and not stepping outside of those boundaries. She continues, with Talhard, the windows opened for me and a different air began to circulate. So her, her understanding of theology changed when she read Talhard de Chardin, she says. His cosmic vision fascinated me. And it seemed to get along perfectly with the Bible. Now here we should note that Talhard de Chardin was not a faithful Catholic. He was actually censored by the church. His writings were placed on the index of forbidden books. And Catholics could not read his writings without committing a sin. So who was Talhard de Chardin? So we go into great detail about his character and who he is in our past video titled The Problems of Maria Montessori. But to give you a brief overview, Talhard de Chardin was famous for his, un, his idea of what's called the Omega Point and his mystical evolution. Talhard de Chardin, like the theosophists, believed that man was eventually going to evolve into God. But Talhar didn't just believe that man was going to evolve into God. He believed that the whole universe would evolve into God at a point he called the Omega Point. Now, the Theosophists really just believed that man was evolving to God, but Talhar's belief that the whole universe would evolve into God was really a perfection of the Theosophist's view of mystical evolution.
And because of this, if you look at uh, many of the theosophical periodicals and writings, you will find that they love Talhar de Chardin because he advanced their religion. Now let's look at his faith. So Talhard said, the birth of a new faith for the world, I believe only Christianity can carry it out. So Talhard believes there is a new faith or religion for the world. He continues, the religion of the future, a new religion, is on the point of springing forth from a new Christology. So Talhard de Chardin is going to have a new understanding of Jesus Christ. Remember, this is completely contrary to the Catholic faith. Because as we said, all public revelation ended with the last apostle. There is no new Christology. And we find Talhard de Chardin's ideology in the writings of Sophia Cavalletti and the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So traditionally there was this focus on creation, redemption, and sanctification. We see this in the early catechisms, such as the Roman Catechism, all the way to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. But in Talhard de Chardin, we see an emphasis on creation, redemption, and parousia. Now the reason is because Catholics believe that they have sanctification or achieve holiness by becoming like God through grace, by participating in this immaterial quality that takes this finite thing and perfects him and makes him like God. Because really holiness is just a degree to which we're like God. Talhar de Chardin believed in a different method of holiness. He didn't believe we could become like God through grace. Rather, Talhar de Chardin believed that we became like God through evolution. The farther we are along in evolution and the closer to the omega point we are, the more like God we are. Therefore, the more holy or sanctified we are. Therefore, for him, he could represent sanctification as parousia. And we find this also, as you look down below, in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Another idea we find in the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is Maria Montessori's idea of cosmic education. So Maria Montessori was also very much in this idea that we are evolving into God. In her book, The Absorbent Mind, which is not her book for the theosophist, this is one of her academic books on psychology. She states, we are created in order to evolve the cosmos. And from this, she had this idea of cosmic education which is her way of teaching the children that everything is evolving into God. Right here I have a quote from Sophia Cavaletti's book on religious education for the Catechist of the Good Shepherd titled, The Religious Potential of the Child, 6 to 12 years age. And she quotes Maria Montessori stating, Maria Montessori explains, we use the term cosmic education to refer to an education which is an effective preparation for the new generations to understand how humanity is being drawn towards a unified whole. 
So it is a way of teaching children that they are moving toward the omega point. And she talked about as a pre-existent reality, which is constantly unfolding. Rather, we are speaking about elevating human consciousness. Now, where do we find elevating human consciousness? We find this in the Theosophist and Talhardus Chardon. And they talk about how there is an increase in consciousness and a profession, a perfection in consciousness as we move along this evolutionary path toward God. Talhardus Chardon even talks about how in the end there's kind of one consciousness man becomes how all of the world has one consciousness that permeates everything and it is elevated so now we have to ask why did the catholic church approve of cgs well the answer it was never approved by the usccb so who are they well most catechesis programs are some offshoot of the Catholic Church, or at least under the Catholic hierarchy in some way. But that's not how Catechesis of the Good Shepherd is organized. For each different nations have a local CGS headquarters. For example, there is CGS USA, CGS Great Britain, and CGS Australia. But these organizations don't go to the church. They're not under the Catholic Church. These organizations answer to CGS International. So this entire catechesis program is not under the church. It's its own parallel organization that answers to itself. Well, now we'll start to take a look into the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd organization and the type of people they sponsor and encourage. So right now we're going to look at someone by the name of Catherine Maresca. Now you can see this is a screenshot of the United States Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, also known as CGS USA. Now here we see the Weaving Our Gifts re retreat. And this is a conference held by Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I believe it's every other year. And it's here, the contact person is Catherine Maresca. And it's organized by the Center of children, for Children and Theology. So right here, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd USA is having Center for Children and Theology organize their event. We're gonna see who is this organization. So right to the left, we have a screenshot of Center of Children and Theology. You can go to the link if you desire. And we'll see a speaker there at the Weaving Our Gifts conference. If you look to the see that person in the blue in that image, you look to the right, we have a, a enlarged picture of her. And to the right, you can see that she is Sister Linda Gibbler, Order of Preachers. And on her neck, she is wearing a yin-yang, which is an occult symbol. Here's another picture of weaving our gifts. And you can see again, we have an image of Catherine Maresca. And it says there, she is the director of the Center for Children and Theology. And she's giving a talk. She's one of the scheduled speakers. And she's giving a talk on the path to ecumenism. And we shall see if this is a false ecumenism.
Now, this Center for Children Theology, it is truly associated with the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, as they state. The National Association of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd supports the work of catechists throughout the United States and issues certificates upon completion of an approved course. So basically, they are training people and authorizing them to teach catechesis of the Good Shepherd. She continues. These courses are offered by the Center of Children and Theology in, a co in cooperation with the association. So this, this organization is authorized to teach and to train catechists. And here are some of the materials that they sell. Materials for hands-on Buddhism. And what comes with that? A small sandbag, incense burner, small bell and sticker. You can, the child learns to pray the Buddhist prayers. Well, hands-on Islam. They have the Islam beads, their prayer beads. And also, you can get your Zenergy meditation chime. Now, something worth noting. I know some catechists who left Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, and one of the reasons they left is because when they went to the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd training facility to learn to become a catechist, the catechists, they were told that they should start the class by ringing this chime. So the people there are people training people in tra tra training catechists that are encouraging the use of this bell, of this um, occult Zen energy meditation chime. So we now have to ask, how do they get approved? There's some really horrible things here. Well, the answer is that there are individual priests and bishops that have given their approval because the program looks impressive. And in many ways, it's not their fault. If you were to walk into Catechist the Good, Good Shepherd, you would see all these hands-on materials, and some of them are very impressive, like the 3D Jewish temple. We must remember this was never approved by the USCCB. Here is a quote from the USCCB Office for Catechism. It was a judgment of the ad hoc committee that because of its very nature as a monastery program, the catechesis of the Good Shepherd does not lend itself to the possibility of a conformity review. Now, why is that? Because they're saying that the catechesis of the Good Shepherd is not really a catechesis program, more or less, it is a style of catechesis. And the reason is because they didn't have a curriculum to give to the USCCB. They're going to ask, where can I get a copy of the class curriculum? And the answer, there is no master copy of the curriculum. Rather, it is taught by word of mouth. So, album pages, the class curriculum, are written by aspiring catechists during class training under the direction of the CGS trainer. So there are, there is no official hard copy of the curriculum. Rather, each CGS trainer 
um, verbally gives the information to the aspiring catechist. And she shows them how to do the various materials and how to manipulate them. Now, because of this, this really causes problems. This means that depending on who your CGS trainer is, there are variations in the album pages as the content is dependent on the structure, on the instruction of the class trainer. Now, this prevents consistency. Depending on your program could be more, slightly more or less orthodox, depending on who your CGS trainer is. Now also by doing this, by not having an official curriculum, it prevents accountability. Let's say we have a teacher over here and they're doing crazy things, they teach CGS. What, you can, what they can say is that, well, oh, okay, that person, they just happened to get a bad CGS trainer, but the rest of the CGS train or most CGS trainers are very good because there is no master copy of the curriculum. There is no way to prove that this is false. So how do we find the, how do we affirm the problems? You have to raid the album pages. If you're a priest, or you're even a bishop, and you want to know about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, you want to verify the claims I have made and see that this program is really inadequate. You need to find the Catechesis programs in your churches or parishes and ask the, cat ask the catechist for a copy of their album pages. With this, you can go through and you can see all the doctrine that is missing from it. You will find very quickly that it is very incompetent compared to the traditional um, catechism, such as the Baltimore Catechism for Children. Don't just take my word for it, look for yourself. So another thing we find in the catechesis of the Good Shepherd is that Album pages change. There's no consistency. Here is a quote from a journal about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. It states, as Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, Catechus, we are continually writing and refining our albums that contain descriptions of each presentation we offer to children, including its sources and doctrinal content. Each catechist album is in continual revision, and there is no complete set of album pages that is published. Now, why, is, why are you continually renewing the doctrinal content? Doctrinal content should not change. Now, you may have different methods that you teach this doctrinal content, but there are certain, there are certain doctrinal content that must be in every catechesis program. And for some reason, apparently, with the catechesis of the Good Shepherd, this changes depending on which catechist is teaching and they're constantly making new ones. If this is perfect and this is adequate, there is no reason to be constantly changing and revising these album pages. This is not the quality of an orthodox program.
again, how are they um, refining the content? What are they basing this off of to determine what should be kept and what should be changed? Well, I guess it's because only materials that arouse most interest and deep joy were kept. Anything that was not essential was removed from the atrium. Perhaps what they're doing, they're finding this. Different teachers are finding certain materials are causing more or less joy and interest. So they were removing those and substituting this for material that causes more or less joy. This is absolutely ridiculous. Has there ever been a class where it is appropriate to teach by removing content that does not bring joy to a student? For math, language, history, no other course will we remove content because it does not bring deep joy or arouse much interest. Why would we do this for theology? We must ask whether there is intent to teach our children or, we, or if CGS is actually trying to water down the faith of our children. If you'd like to more, know more about Telhard de Chardin, I highly recommend this book, The Truth About Telhard by Monsignor Leo Schumacher. It's available at Internet Archive. And if you want to know more about Montessori, last week we gave a talk. It's titled, The Problems of Maria Montessori. You can search it on YouTube. And it also talks a little bit about the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And probably the most helpful source, Catechesis of the Good Shepherd Exposed. Here there's many detailed resources about the many problems of the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd and why this is not a good and proper catechesis program. All right, are there any questions? All right, there does not appear to be any questions. I hope you enjoyed today's virtue class.